And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Sunday, April 18th. Derek Van Riper here with Michael Beller streaming live on YouTube. And if you're not already subscribed to our YouTube channel, be sure to do that. You can always check this video out after it's live. Uh, if you're listening to us on the podcast, the more traditional route, welcome. It's a strange week for the waiver wire. We thought yeah. there might be some top prospects coming up, Beller. We've hit the point in the season where teams can call up a player, and that player won't accrue a full year of service time. So at least the prospects who have not played at all in the big leagues yet, those guys seemingly are not far away from being called up. So unless something changes between the time we're recording this at 10 a.m. Eastern and the time that Fab runs tonight in many leagues about 12 hours from now. Uh, there won't be great hitters available, at least in deeper leagues, maybe in some of the more shallow mixed formats out there. There are some quality bats that you can get in for the upcoming week, but the pitching looks pretty decent, at least for streaming opportunities. So excited to get into that. Uh, Let's get right to it. Let's start with a guy who's extended run of playing time was just increased because of some bad news for Cody Bellinger, and that's Zach McKinstry. The news on Bellinger is that he had some recent tests that showed a hairline fracture in his left fibula, so while it looked like he was sort of nearing a return from the IL, that does not appear to be the case anymore. McKinstry is just one of those guys that classic development story for the Dodgers, late draft pick, you know, unheralded prospect. He's a 33rd rounder that they got out of Central Michigan. And here he is, three homers in his first 14 games this season, hitting 304, 340 OBP, slugging 609 in the early going. And as a lefty bat, I mean, probably more of a big side platoon guy for them so long as Bellinger is out. But with that being probably more like a matter of weeks as opposed to days, if McKinstry's still out there in your league, there's a good chance that he's one of the best available hitters to consider. Yeah, right. We were joking about this before we got going. Dodgers, man, they can lose a guy like Cody Bellinger, pull up Zach McKinstry, and he just hits as though Cody Bellinger is still in the lineup for this time. So I totally agree with you. I mean, this is a great offense, obviously, to be invested in. And as you said off the top, it's not a great week to be going after hitters. So I think that even makes McKinstry a little bit more attractive than he would be. I don't think he needs a shallow pool. To be attractive, given what he's done and the fact that he's going to have this playing time locked in for at least a little bit longer here, feel pretty decent about him being able to be a contributor for as long as he's in this Dodgers lineup. Yeah, I mean, that lineup top to bottom, we've talked about it a lot. It's really strong. The only note about him for the upcoming week that could taper off the playing time just a little bit, they have six games on the schedule, and three of them are projected to be against left-handed starters. So it could be a slightly lighter week for him than a typical week. Uh, As it lines up for next week, though, six righties on the schedule to begin and an undecided for the final game of the week, which almost certainly could be a righty as well. So (laughs) it could be a good pickup for this week, but an even better one for uh, the following week as it pertains to Zach McKinstry. But look, this is a guy that's played well uh, in the upper levels of the minors, so I'm not completely stunned that he's holding his own and then some 
as a member of this Dodgers lineup. Um, let's talk about J.P. Crawford for a moment. I just wanted to bring him up because the first thing I've been sorting by when I look for free agents in my leagues is playing time. And J.P. Mm-hmm. Crawford is getting a lot of playing time, but there's a couple problems. J.P. Crawford is stuck in the bottom of a pretty bad Seattle lineup. We talked about a guy like Zach McKinstry. If he's hitting in the bottom third of the Dodgers lineup, no problem. They're going to be among the league leaders and runs scored. J.P. Crawford's been hitting eighth or ninth for the Mariners this season. Doesn't offer a ton of power, has a little bit of speed. To me, he's just kind of an emergency fill-in in the middle infield and, and nothing more, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that's where he lands, too. And I think we have, we're obviously disabused of the notions we once had with, for J.P. Crawford. But the playing time's there. We talked about this a lot last week. Uh, at this point of the season, like, I think we're starting to get a pretty good handle on what playing time is real and what playing time is just short-term and what's you know based on platoon advantages and disadvantages. And it's going to be there for Crawford. So as long as he's got that, I do think that he can be just a you know middle infield sort of guy, not someone you're going to want to lean on in too big of a way, not someone you're going to expect to uh, be this key part of a championship contender. But when we're filling out our rosters, guys who are going to be in their lineup every day that we don't have to think twice about – there's some value to that, especially when you're talking about you know your middle infield spot. So J.P. Crawford, as long as that's what you're thinking of, I give him a thumbs up. More likely than not, there is someone available in your league who brings more ceiling, but if you just need yep. playing time, he's still getting plenty of it. And I think unlike some of the other players currently in the Mariners lineup, J.P. Crawford is less likely to lose that opportunity this season. I think he's got all of 2021 to try and establish himself and make adjustments and get better as a big league player, whereas uh, guys like Jose Marmolejos, who we'll get to in a few minutes, you know, <laughs> probably not necessarily going to have uh, a role beyond June once the prospects start to arrive in Seattle. Uh, let's get to DJ Stewart, though, because DJ Stewart, to me, at least brings that glimmer of ceiling yeah, I don't know how the playing time fits. We talked to Dan Connolly last week on this show, last Thursday. And since returning from the IL, DJ Stewart has played all but one game, started all but one, mostly playing left field, occasionally gets into the DH mix. So seven out of eight entering Sunday. Raw power, absolutely there. I'm glad they're giving him an opportunity. I think you could justify him in most like deeper mixed leagues, 15 teams and deeper for sure. What is your interest level in Stewart now that he's playing and playing maybe a bit more than we expected? I feel pretty decent about him, actually, DVR. You know, last season, you mentioned the raw power, right? Seven homers and 112 trips to the plate. Uh, He always had that in the minors, 12 homers and 277 plate appearances at the AAA level in 2019. So I think the power plays. And there's going to be a bit of a a, a playing time concern when Austin Hayes is back from the IL. But for the time being, I think his playing time is pretty secure. And I would think that he at least is, unless he totally falls apart in between now and the time that Hayes returns, he's going to uh, make uh, make a good case for himself to be someone who is in the mix. This is not going to be, I think we got Cedric Mullins and Anthony Santander out there. Those guys are going to play every day. You've got Ryan Mountcastle. I would lean toward him being a regular too. He's been locking down the DH spot for the most part since Stewart's been back. So I really do think you're looking at a Stewart versus Hayes situation, most likely. Obviously, things can change. And I think that Stewart at least has an opportunity to do enough to make himself the long side guy in that mix. And so I like taking a shot at him now. I think that power is absolutely for real. I mean, I don't think there's really any reason to doubt it. And so there's going to be a lot of value in a guy who can do that and who's going to be able to hit in the top third, top half of his lineup. No doubt about it. We know that's going to be the case for Stewart. 
Yeah, you look a lot of these starts, second, third, and fifth in the order. The lowest he's hit was one of his starts against the lefty. That was seventh in the order. But if he's getting that playing time and getting dropped with it, that's fine. I mean, I'll, I'll take a guy that's that high in the order on most days, especially in a, such a hitter-friendly environment. And I think the wild card here, if you try to project the playing time going forward, might be Ryan Mountcastle and the different ways that the Orioles ex- explore how to get his bat in the lineup but not have him in the first base DH mix. Because if they want to play Trey Mancini at first, if they want to use all four of the outfielders we're talking about, you know, Ryan Mountcastle could go play third base. He might not be good at it, but at least that way <laughs> they're developing as many hitters as possible. I didn't mean that to sound like actually mean. Like, I know there was some experience for him on the left side of the infield as a prospect, but if you're a bad team, if you're a rebuilding team, isn't it more important to just develop as many players as possible instead of running... Michael Franco out there at third base because there's a chance Ryan Mountcastle's on your next good team. Michael Franco won't be on your next great team. So you might as well take the defensive hit and just see how many hitters you can actually get on the field together. That seems like the best development plan, at least to me. Yeah, I'm totally there with you. And there's, you know, there's there, there's traits that could potentially be uh, developing because of what guys show. You know, maybe DJ Stewart is someone who ends up ultimately in that mix for Baltimore. We don't know how that's going to play out, but we do know, or at least we have an inkling uh, that leads us to a fact where you want those guys in this Baltimore lineup more so than some of the other guys who could feasibly be out there. And maybe they're a slightly better team, but developmentally, it feels like Stewart has to be involved in a significant way. Let's talk about Adelise Garcia, because I think this is another Nando DeFino special. Uh, Our buddy Nando, editor here at The Athletic, is uh, always good at at finding (laughs) upper-level minor league players who are toolsy and buying their rookie cards. I'm sure sure (laughs) that he has several Garcias already ordered and in hand at this point. But uh, we're talking about a guy that in 2019 hit 32 home runs at AAA Memphis, part of the Cardinals organization then. Stole 14 bases, was caught 10 times, so the success rate wasn't good. What's the catch? Well, the play discipline was the catch. He walked 22 times against 159 Ks. We're seeing that a little bit here in the early going. He's getting a chance to play in Texas. 7 Ks, no walks so far in 21 plate appearances through five games. Uh, But he has homered already. Clearly the power's real it's just going to be a question of whether he can actually bring down the K's enough to stick. I think what's interesting, though, is they're playing him in center field, and Leody Tavares has been in a brutal slump to start the year. I think there's a really good chance Tavares is going to spend some time at AAA. A very young player, very good player in the long run. And I think Garcia is the kind of guy where they're going to say, let's just see if he can figure it out. And they'll give him mm-hmm. a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months, to see if he can make enough adjustments to be a viable big leaguer. So curious, what is your interest level here? I saw he was hitting cleanup on Saturday. Yeah, you know, it's it's relatively low. I just feel like a guy who has had the K struggles that he has had is going to have a really tough time figuring it out at the major league level. And I just think that that is going to hamstring him and keep that power from shining through. I guess what what could change things is where he ends up landing in this lineup. But I look at the lineup, like, right, we got Kiner Falefo's going to hit first, low second, Gallo, Dahl, Solak. You've got Willie Calhoun right now mostly hitting six for this team in the DH spot. Like, it might be hard for him to break into the top half of this lineup consistently. And so that's where I also get another level of concern uh, for Garcia. That ultimately could hold me back, but really it's more the fact that 
it's just a very tough profile to trust as someone who's going to be able to get things clicking at the major league level with all this great strikeout stuff that we have in the game these days. I mean, seven strikeouts and 21 plate appearances. You can call it a small sample. It's not an accident. I mean, this is the player that Garcia is supposed to be who we should expect him to be. And that right there, if you can't make contact, you can't do anything. And that has me less excited about him than even someone who's not quite as excited as Nando is about Adolis Garcia. I think I'm a little bit optimistic, if only because this is the organization that brought us Danny Santana back from yeah, sure. sort of the fantasy graveyard, I think, as uh, our ESPN fantasy focus friends once called it. And I, I think with with Danny Santana, there was bad play discipline for him until he got to his late 20s. And, and even still, it wasn't like things were way better in 2019. <laughs> he struck out 29.5% of the time and walked a little less than 5% of the time. Just the fact that they were willing to give him as much playing time as they did in 2019 gives me just that little glimmer of hope with Garcia. And I think for them, he sort of found money if it works. And a guy yeah, like Leody Tavares, if they get Tavares's development wrong, that to me is a bigger failing on them as an organization. So they have to sort of figure out how the, the best possible way is to get Tavares right. And I think mm-hmm. that's going to include letting Garcia be the center fielder. I think they're at least getting us... Um, they're at least getting us a, a better mix with Willie Calhoun back in the lineup yeah. now. Calhoun's DHing. David Dahl was in left field. I mean, if, if they're going to put their best nine hitters on the field, it's going to take a little bit of, of shuffling around. And I've been a little disappointed in how they've handled that lineup in the early going. So maybe, just maybe, Adolis Garcia is uh, part of the, the wave where they start to get it right. I think we mentioned Philip Evans on last week's show, so not really anything new there, just kind of a flyby. So long as Cabrian Hayes is not playing, Philip Evans will continue to play a lot. I think once Cabrian Hayes comes back, you know, we're talking about someone who plays a little bit in the outfield, can play a couple other spots, but doesn't make much of an impact. So you kind of have to tie the value of Evans to Hayes' availability at this point. Let's talk about Billy McKinney, though, for a moment, because kind of like the Dodgers, the Brewers got some bad news on Christian Yelich. Might not be as bad as the Cody Bellinger situation because we're talking about back soreness and injury that was day-to-day for almost a week before Yelich finally hit the IL. It looks like Billy McKinney and Tyrone Taylor are going to work in tandem in a platoon with McKinney getting the larger side of that playing time. And McKinney's always been more of a a bat-first sort of prospect. Hasn't quite delivered on the expectations of a first-rounder back in 2013, uh, but has hit a bit in limited opportunities for the Brewers. uh, Eight for 21 to start his time in Milwaukee. So what's your interest level in McKinney? I would say there's at least a ceiling here. I mean, there's at least some sort of upside, and I think the playing time is is pretty comfortable for as long as Christian Yelich is out. We know it's going to be a platoon, but there's you know he's going to be on the long side of it, and there's no really no real reason to think that's going to change, right? I mean, there's just no actual way that that ends up flipping on him. So feel good about the playing time. Feel like there is some sort of achievable ceiling for him to get to. And I still think even without Yelich, there's a little more in this Milwaukee lineup than we've seen to this point of the season. I think there's just, we're seeing a lot of hitters not live up to even like 80% expectations. And so I think there's a little bit more environmentally in Milwaukee that we're going to get out of them going forward. And so that has me also not just excited about McKinney, but about this uh, this lineup one through eight. So I think that all those things add up to a point where I could take I could see myself taking a shot on him this week and you know give him some run for a week, two weeks. If things don't work out, things don't work out. Don't think he's going to really 
uh, have that high of an acquisition cost as you're making your fab bids today. It's going to be someone who you're able to get pretty comfortably if you want him on your team. And I think of all the guys we've talked about, like maybe obviously McKinstry, maybe Stewart because of the power. That's really where I'm looking at with McKinney. He would be maybe the next guy who I would look to because I think that there's an achievable ceiling that he can reach and that he's going to have an opportunity to so long as Yelich is out. Right. And I think with the matchups this week, six games for the Brewers, all six lined up against right-handed starters. So those very well could all be McKinney starts or at least five out of six could be McKinney starts. So I I would definitely be interested in scooping him up just temporarily in 15-team leagues. I, I think, like you said, the bidding will be light. You're talking 1% to 2% of a budget probably will be enough to get it done. Uh, I mentioned him in passing earlier. Jose Marmalejos also playing a lot in Seattle. Similar role to someone like Billy McKinney, right? Mm-hmm. Big side of a platoon. Has barreled up a lot of balls going back to last season. Definitely one of those guys that when he popped up in the lineup for the first time last year, I had no idea who he was. And anytime <laughs> that happens, like I'm usually thrown because I... I know prospects pretty well, and I dig into these things. I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm, I'm reading the prospect handbook, and uh, I, I've got a Baseball America subscription. Like I'm, I'm not checked out, <laughs> but Jose Marmolejo is hitting a 211, 276, 436 so far, 46 big league games, eight homers, so mm-hmm. low average, some power, and he's hitting high in this order. I just don't think it's going to last. I mean, I think as soon as they start bringing up better bats, which could be a matter of days, his playing time is going to dry up. It is going to be a matter of days, right? And I mean, this is a team that's getting healthy too. Like, it's fun while it's lasting, I suppose. And if you've been in on it to this point, then that's nice. But that is way more descriptive of what's already happened than predictive of where Marmalejos in the Seattle lineup is going. I think even if you are like desperate for bats this week, I would say save the couple of bucks and you know run it back next week. I would say for me, he'd have to be a minded sort of player, just mm-hmm. a contingency to make sure I've got someone if there's a an IL player that I am replacing. So just be careful because the playing time could drop out any day with Jose Marmolejos. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to the starting pitchers. I think this is probably the most interesting group of players to bid on out of the three groups that we usually talk about, Beller. Danny Duffy. We got a question about him on Rates and Barrels a couple of days ago, and it was basically, Danny Duffy looks rosterable? And, I mean, like, <laughs> he, he does. He's he's pitched well <laughs> in his first couple starts. He's got a two-start week. He's got the Rays at home, Tigers on the road. We've talked about the Rays a few times uh, in recent weeks as a team that will strike out quite a bit, so you mm-hmm. get that extra boost there. You know, offensively, they're probably closer to an overall like league average sort of offense as they're constructed right now. Tigers, absolutely nothing to fear there. 
What do you do with Duffy? I mean, do you think he's just the same old Danny Duffy with a couple of good starts to begin the season, or do you think something's actually changed? He might be, and I haven't been able to dig in on exactly what potentially could have changed, but uh, you know, we've seen enough from Danny Duffy uh, previously in his career to the point where a few good starts is enough of a reason to roster him. Like, the question you got, like, I think he's rosterable, certainly for this two-start week. I mean, we would be talking, unless he had get, gotten blown up in the start of the season, we'd be talking about this as a two-start, you know, d- drive uh, pick up and ditch situation for Danny Duffy. I think though he's rosterable beyond this. There's, we know that there is a guy in there who can miss some bats, and we know there's a guy in there who can pitch you know, deep enough into games to get consistent wins so long as he is pitching well. And I think that we've seen that from him this season to a point where I feel good about having him beyond just this week. So I think he's definitely someone to go after this week and not just with a this week mentality. I think he could be someone who sticks around on the bottom part of rosters. Maybe you don't start him every single time he takes the mound. Maybe you don't throw him out there every week, depending on the matchups he's got. But at this point, with what we've seen league-wide, I want to believe. I want to I want to give Danny Duffy an opportunity to prove to me that he's like a top 55 starting pitcher. And that is a guy who is rosterable throughout the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking at him as a guy that for two start weeks, I'll definitely pick up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's full on pitch and ditch, but next week's matchup is against the Twins. So that's one of the spots where I wouldn't want to use him. It would really depend on yep. how my roster is built, if I could right, hold right. on to him and actually use him for that start. Uh, the good news, though, for Danny Duffy, the velocity's up right now on the fastball, 93.9 in his first two starts. He has not thrown that hard since 2016 so it's been a little while since we've seen that sort of velo from him I think that does give him a little bit of extra floor I think we're talking about a guy that's probably more of like a low fours ERA sort of pitcher kind of a league average whip plenty of strikeouts just a very usable guy that if you can avoid the worst outings you might come away pretty happy with what you're able to do Uh, how about Jake Arrieta we've talked about him a couple of times because he opened with the Pirates for his first two starts he gets a two-start week home against the Mets, home against the Brewers. If they weren't both at home, I don't think I'd consider it at all. And it's also possible the Brewers will still be shorthanded next weekend. I mean, yep. we talked about the absence of Yelich. Maybe he's back by the time Arietta makes that start. But even with Yelich back in that lineup, Jackie Bradley Jr. has been in an early season slump. Luis Urias has been in an early season slump. Uh, we're talking Keston Hira, you know, not being himself right now. So it's still a lineup that is not firing on all cylinders. Maybe one that you can pick on a little bit, at least when they're outside of Milwaukee. How do you feel about Arietta in these spots? The the Mets spot really uh, scares me. With the way that that team has been, I mean, Brandon Nimmo is just an on-base machine, and the table feels like it's always set for the boppers because of what you're seeing Nimmo and Lindor do on the top of the lineup. And, hey, Lindor is one of the boppers too. So, you know, that that matchup concerns me. I could see Arietta running into a lot of trouble against that Mets lineup. And so that makes me kind of tepid on this overall. I think it's – for me, it's a – it is a – like I would rather have Duffy – obviously, and then I'm thinking about Arietta as if I really need the innings because I don't think these this is necessarily a great two-step for him. So if I really feel like, you know, I just need, I need some bulk, I need some strikeouts, you know, I'll go after Arietta like that, but with the fact that that's, that Mets, tough, Mets matchup, excuse me, is really tough, the fact that I just don't really want him on my roster unless we're talking about a two-start week or a couple of good matchups, like I don't fully trust Jake Arietta, start in, start out, 
this is one where I could throw a, a min bid or one percent or a two percent or at him, maybe something like that. But other than that, I'm not really too interested in this. I just really think that Mets is, is a really tough spot for any pitcher, let alone someone who's you know down where Arietta lives these days. Yeah, I, I think he'd be at the bottom of the two start pitchers for me, but still. Mm-hmm biddable at least in 15 team leagues in 12s you might not have to do it quite this early in the season Uh, next guy here is pretty tricky because Josh Fleming doesn't have overwhelming stuff I mean last season averaged 90.5 on his sinker he's at 91.3 so he is up slightly in velo Mm. just more of a command guy I know the Rays have had success with a lot of different pitchers. I mean, we're talking Ryan Yarbrough as probably the best case sort of outcome, but even what Jalen Beeks was doing before, he was hurt. He's not necessarily an overpowering guy either. Can this work? Are you interested in Josh Fleming with his hold currently on the Rays' number five starter spot? He's got the Royals and Danny Duffy in that first matchup of the week on the road, and then he's got the Jays at home for a second one. So almost exactly what I felt with Arietta. That that Blue Jays matchup just really, really scares me. And you know th- this can work. I mean, we've we've uh, we've seen situations where this works. I just went through it thanks to you actually DVR. So kudos to you. Uh, I on your uh, suggestion on this very show one week ago. So you can get good advice right here. I'm telling you, I picked up Dean Kramer. Last week, and uh, you know the first start, I can't remember even who it was against, but the first start, not so good. Gave up like three runs in four innings. Second start, last night against the Rangers, pretty good. Four and two-thirds, gave up one gave up one run, five strikeouts. I'm, I use that to say that's what you're looking for, I think. right? Like That is what you're hoping for. You're hoping for at least one good start and then one tread water start. And I just really am concerned about Fleming being able to even tread water against a Toronto lineup that... It sounds early. I know it's early, but it sounds like maybe George Springer's back by the weekend. So he's going to be facing now that Toronto lineup that's already been hitting everything with George Springer in it. Like, I'm very afraid of that matchup. And it's not like KC's a total, like, rollover and die offense either. So I'm staying away from Fleming this week. Got a question here uh, from the YouTube comments from Mike about Joe Ross. Where do you guys have Joe Ross as a two-star pitcher this week? Saw him go for 9% fab in a league last night. 9% isn't out of bounds. I think there's probably a little bit of long-term appeal. I think the concern I've got with Joe Ross is that while he's pitched well, the underlying numbers, the velocity especially, hasn't Mm -hmm. been great. So I, I still think there could be some bumps along the way. I think he could be passable like a kind of like the Duffy situation, low fours ERA kind of league average whip, decent number of strikeouts, but uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to go all in to get him. I think the problem with the two start week is his second start is against the Mets. No concerns for me. First one is home against St. Louis. I think that's a lineup that has the two stars that we talk about all the time. We talk about Arenado and, and Goldschmidt, but as a group, that's not necessarily a lineup that you're avoiding right now. But at the Mets for the second one kind of puts them in that that middle ground where you don't feel great about it, even though you mm-hmm. might have to do it in a league like a 15-team league. The appeal here for me, the added appeal anyway, if you look beyond the two-start week, he's home against Miami for his start next weekend. So that's a pretty nice landing spot for Ross. So if you feel good enough about the two-start week this week to use him, you're probably going to go ahead and use him for that home start against the Marlins next weekend too. 
Yep, I think you said it all. I would just add the nine Ks and eleven innings. Like he's not going to be a big strikeout guy. That's just not his game anymore. After all the injuries, all the surgeries that he's had, I like the team. Yeah, I feel pretty decent about Washington being able to give him uh, plenty of offense. So I think that's going to be something he has uh, at his disposal all season. But uh, I agree. Like nine percent, not out of bounds, is probably more than I would go for him. And uh, feel decent enough about this two-start week because I do think he can take advantage of St. Louis and not get blown up enough by the Mets. And then you follow that up with the Miami start, as you said. He's someone who I'd be going after if he were available in any of my leagues, that's for sure. I wouldn't be going to 9%, though. Yeah, I mean, the Velo, like I said, down about a mile per hour from where it was in 2019. Not like this early in the season. It's not a red flag. It's just not necessarily what you're hoping to see this early mm-hmm. in the year either. So rosterable, but not necessarily a must-get player. I'd, I'd keep my bid under that 9% threshold yep. that he went for uh, on Saturday night in Mike's League. Um, let's talk about Logan Webb, who's been discussed on at least one of our waiver shows this mm-hmm. season. At Philly, home against Miami, classic case of a tough road spot versus a good home spot here where I really want that second start. I don't really want that first one. Uh, he's getting another opportunity in the rotation with Johnny Cueto on the IL with a lat injury. If I'm bidding on Logan Webb this weekend, it's not going to be a lot, but I'm hoping to get strikeouts and at least a cheap win in that second opportunity against the Marlins. Totally agree with you. All I would add there is more is a is a, you know a, a priority thing. I would go after him before I went after Fleming. I would go after him before I went after Arietta. I think because of that matchup with Miami, I just feel a little bit better about it than Arietta against the Mets. And so that's I would be ranking them in that order. But again, for all of these guys, even if I really want the two starts for anyone other than Duffy, same pretty low bids here. I am fine getting beat for Jake Arietta for Josh Fleming and for Logan Webb. Let's talk about Kohei Arihara. He is going at the Angels, at the White Sox. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with those matchups. Uh, only yes. one walk through 14 and two-thirds innings in his first three big league starts. Only seven strikeouts during that that run as well. I just don't know what to make of... I mean, we're talking... This is a deep arsenal. Like, look at his yeah. stat cast page. Four-seaver <laughs> slider, changeup, cutter, sinker, splitter, and curveball all listed on there. Seven pitches. How do you not like a guy who has seven pitches? Well, those two matchups are, are one way to not like a guy, at least in the short term. <laughs> he's like the uh, he's like Cafe Tropical in, Sh- in Schitt's Creek, right? <laughs> there's too many things on the menu here. Just like, pare it down, Kohei, and pick four and go with it. Yeah, I mean, we're duty-bound to mention every single two-star pitcher here. I am not challenging the Angels and the White Sox with a guy who is a fringe starter at best in fantasy leagues. So, no thanks, Kohei. Home against the Red Sox the following week, too. So just yeah. not not a good run of schedule for him. I'm going to we'll let somebody else take month. that chance. Yeah, <laughs> We'll talk about him again in May, see if the schedule's a little better at that time. But seven pitches, yeah. I, I think that's a great pull on uh, Cafe Tropical, though. That, that's, uh, that's a good way to describe it. Uh, Michael Waka, just when you think you're out, he pulls you right back in. Yeah. Best start of the year against the Yankees on Friday. Six scoreless, only one hit. 9Ks, you had Yankees fans throwing balls onto the field that night. I mean, it was just complete mayhem at Yankee Stadium. They they were so frustrated about Michael Waka shutting down the Yankees offense that it resorted to a pretty ugly scene. Uh, but in all seriousness, Michael Waka, I, I don't think he's the guy we hoped he was when the Cardinals drafted him way back in 2012. I do think being with the Rays, they will avoid overexposing him. As mm-hmm. far as you know, not leave, leaving him in bad spots to face the lineup the third time, facing his best stuff, and 
mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to, I don't know what, I don't know what to make of this. I, I think I like the matchup enough to go ahead and and fire him out there against Kansas City, but I don't know if I'm going to hold on to him after that start. I think he's falling into the classic pitch and ditch category for me. Yeah, who does he have? Who do they have the following week? So he'd be looking at Oakland most likely. Possible two start, start week. week. Yeah, yeah, two yeah. two would be Oakland and then Houston both at home. Yeah. So not necessarily two offenses you want to go up against with the way Oakland swinging the bats too. I will say that it like so like this is more of a like procedural way of thinking about it, but like I would rather have Michael Walker for one, like, for one start in a weekly league where I'm locked into having him. Yeah, I can't just take him for one, not for the other. I'd rather have Waka for one start against Kansas City than Fleming for the same Kansas City City start, but then also having to have Fleming against Toronto. Like, unless you're playing a pure numbers game, I would rather go Waka with the one start that he has because of everything you said, DVR. I mean, he has looked pretty good this season. He just shut down a Yankees lineup that, I mean, I know that it hasn't been the Yankees that we expect him to be to this point of the season. You've got a lot of guys slumping in that lineup, but we're still talking about a lineup that is just packed with stud hitters. I don't care if they're not hitting yet. This is a team that is going to hit. And just because they're not hitting doesn't mean you roll out of bed and just shut down Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, and Glaber Torres and all of those guys in the Yankees lineup. And Michael Walker did it. So I think he deserves a little bit of a, of a, the benefit of the doubt going into a fine matchup against Kansas City this weekend. I actually, you know, unless like unless I need the numbers, I think Walker might be my favorite guy we've talked about, maybe uh, after Duffy thus hmm. far. Still is a good changeup, and now he's got the cutter working as his most utilized pitch, throwing that 38.6% of the time. So I think that pitch was in the 15 to 20% range back in 18 and 19, and he's really kind of made that his primary fastball option right now. Curious to see where it goes. Uh, I'm thinking about that two-start week next week and not sure, but I, I will play him this week <laughs> against the Royals where I can. And, Maybe that'll give me more information. Maybe they'll give me more confidence in taking mm-hmm. the chance in the two-start week. And, of course, it always depends on what your alternatives are, too. We talk about that all the time. Uh, speaking of check your alternatives, Nick Pavetta, home against Seattle. I I don't see it. Uh, the walks have been a problem for him. He just went three and two-thirds against the White Sox on Saturday night or Saturday afternoon. I'm I'm not there. I'm, I'm not going to look at Pavetta and tell you he's a, a good idea. All I'm here for is the versus Seattle. I think that's one of the worst yeah. lineups in the league yep. right now. And unless they start calling up all the prospects, unless they bring up Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez between now and the time you have to make the decision, I think you want to go ahead and, and throw Pavetta out there and then get him off your roster as soon as possible. Agree wholeheartedly. I mean, how many? I thought we were past this with Pavetta. And especially when he keeps making the same mistakes, he keeps having the same issues that he's had that have prevented him from becoming the guy that so many of us, myself absolutely very much included, thought he was going to become a few years ago. Like, this guy can't stay in the zone. And hitters know that. Like, they know that he will put you on base. You have to make Nick Pavetta challenge you or you're going to get him into trouble. We saw the White Sox do it over the weekend. And this is just the same guy. So, yeah, I can live with the the versus Seattle matchup, but pitch, ditch, and let's move on. Yeah, that's the way I see it with him. Uh, Jeff Hoffman, who has kept a spot in the back of the Reds rotation ahead of Jose De Leon. Sonny Gray came back on Saturday, so they made their decision. And Hoffman gets Arizona again. I think he pitched well against them on the road earlier this season. That's sort of what put him on the map a little bit as a mixed league consideration. Now that you've seen a little more of Jeff Hoffman, what's your trust level? You know what? It's pretty decent, especially with the Reds making their choice 
over DeLeon. Before Sonny Gray came back when both these guys were in the rotation, I wouldn't have been quite so comfortable, but the Reds have made their choice. And, Derek, you know exactly where I'm going with it. This is one of those organizations that we trust to develop pitching. And, like, when they give you their seal of approval, when you get the Reds pitching infrastructure imprimatur, you feel pretty good about that. And Jeff Hoffman now has that. They have made a choice. They say, yes, Hoffman, no DeLeon. Clearly, they are headed in a direction where they think Hoffman can stick in the rotation for the entire season. And that is someone who I want to take a chance on. If this team, this pitching infrastructure says we think this guy is a guy for us, I like that. I like taking a chance on it. And I like this soft landing spot, right? This is the first time that we've had to make that decision about Jeff Hoffman. And so I like that we get a one-start week against an Arizona team that we're certainly not afraid of, and we can see what happens. This is not a tough two-star week. This is not a two-star week where he's got one tough one and one easy one so where we're feeling like, eh, I like the first one, I don't like the second one. Like, nope, none of that. We don't got to worry about it. We like the one matchup he has. We're going to get a little bit more data, and then we can make another decision on it next week. I am definitely in on Hoffman this weekend. Yeah, this is just buying into Spincinnati, as Eno has called yes. it. I think <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. I don't know if I really think Jeff Hoffman is anything – Better than a league average fantasy option, but Mm -hmm. uh, he's in for my matchup here against Arizona this week, and he's long gone for his next turn at the Dodgers next week. Like I don't want any part of that. I feel like if he he pitches really well, you can. That's what I mean by like a soft landing spot where we can get some data. I'm not going to pitch him against the Dodgers. He could throw a perfect game against Arizona. I'm not going to (laughs) pitch him against the Dodgers, but like. Now we get the data. What if he has a good start against Arizona? I think he could prove himself to be someone who sticks on our rosters. So we get the good start against Arizona, sit him down the week that he goes against the Dodgers, and then maybe get him back in the next week, depending on the matchups. That's what I like about this landing spot for Hoffman this week. Let's go to the other side of the series there. Talk about Taylor Widener for a moment. He will be on the road in Cincinnati facing the Reds, not the same day that Jeff Hoffman pitches. Three starts so far, a 159 ERA, a 112 whip, only 11 strikeouts in 17 innings, so definitely some questions in terms of his ability to miss bats. And the thing that I'm most concerned about, I guess, is that Taylor Widener throws his fastball more than 60% of the time, and it's not a particularly good fastball. It's just 93 and doesn't seem to get a lot of whiffs. I I think his changeup is his best pitch. He throws it 21% of the time. He's got a decent slider. I just think he has to get to those secondaries more often if he's going to hold his own in the long run. I think he's one of those guys that if this matchup were in Arizona, I'd be Mm -hmm. okay with it. Because it's in Cincinnati, I could see this being a pretty big regression start for Widener where he just gets knocked around. Yeah, this is a pass for me. I don't even know if I would be on board in Arizona, and I'm definitely not in board on board in Cincinnati with the way that this offense has been hitting really all season, and they continue to do so. I really don't want to mess around with this matchup. Yeah, I mean, you ran down the numbers. He seems like he's pitching a little bit above his out over his skis right now with the ERA and the whip being with where, where they are, but a guy who's going to throw a ho-hum fastball more than 60% of the time, like... I don't know. This feels like a guy who, you know, you can't take away the results that he's gotten to this point, but it feels like there's some major regression coming in his direction. And not just because no one has a 159 ERA for the entire season. There is some skills-based regression that is coming for him in a big, big way. And what better place to start? What more likely place to start than in Cincinnati against that lineup the way they've been hitting? I think one of the common strategies this season has been to use just about anybody against the Pirates. Does that apply to Jose Urania? Do you throw him against the Pirates? I, I I don't want to do it, but sometimes you just have to just take the start and hope you get five plus, get the win, and move on. 
I, that's what it comes down to, right? I mean, we're not even really looking at the name here. There is no bad way to get involved against Pittsburgh's offense. There is n- no bad pitcher, I don't think, to stream. We could stream basically anyone who is going up against the Pirates. Now, that doesn't mean that all of them are going to have good starts. It doesn't mean you're actually going to want to do it. But anyone who is available going against the Pirates is at least in the streaming discussion. For me, it really comes down to that. It's as simple as that. Do I need some innings this week? Do I want to take a chance this week? Then I would go after Urania. Again, even though it's this matchup with the Pirates, we're obviously not going crazy here. I think that goes without saying. We're not really trying to win this bid. We're sort of more letting the bid come to us. right? This is one that I'm, I will win by default. But I'm not going to be the aggressive one and go out and get Orania. If he falls into my lap, I'll take him. I'll throw him against the Pirates. But I'm not trying to make anything big here. Yeah, so a min bid. Bottom of the mm-hmm. list, contingency option. You know, Someone that will make a start that you feel pretty good about, even though you don't necessarily feel good about the skills of the pitcher himself. <laughs> I wanted to mention Eric Fetty only because he had a great start against the Diamondbacks on Saturday. With John Lester's expected return this week, it doesn't look like yeah. Fetty's going to have a spot. And even if Lester's not ready, he would go against the Mets. So uh, I, I see what he did. I'm encouraged by it. I just don't know if there's an opportunity for him beyond the bullpen in the next couple of weeks with Lester on his way back. Um, the other name to throw at you is Kyle Wright. He is home against Arizona with Drew Smiley going on the IL. Wright is going to get a chance to uh, hold a spot in the rotation temporarily. For Atlanta, it seems pretty risky to me. I mean, they preferred Waskari Noah to him to begin the season, but it's a great matchup. So is, mm-hmm. is Wright sort of in the Urania category where he's at the bottom of your list as a contingency option, or do you actually like him a little bit more because there's prospect pedigree and we just haven't seen quite as much of him at the big league level yet? Exactly. I like him more for three reasons. That's reason number one. Reason number two, he's got Atlanta's offense at his back, not Detroit's offense at his back. Reason number three, a ton of injuries in this Atlanta rotation with Smiley, Mike Soroka having a little bit of a setback, Max Freed. I think there's going to be some opportunity for really all these guys to pitch their way into a you know at least short-term and potentially long-term rotation spot, depending on how the recoveries go for all those Atlanta starters. So you wrap those three those three things up together. You throw in a matchup against Arizona at home. I feel pretty good about going after Wright this weekend. Yeah, he's at least a bottom of the list consideration for me. I don't know if I'm quite as high on him as you are, but compared to guys like Widener and Urania, I'm yeah. looking at Kyle Wright and a little more interested as a result of uh, the quality of those alternatives. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply let's take a look at the bullpens toronto is probably the place where you're going to see a decent amount of bidding this weekend jordan romano's elbow injury doesn't appear to be as bad 
as Julian Merriweather's oblique strain right now, just in terms of their respective timetables. So, you know, factoring that in and the usage of the Jays bullpen so far, what is your interest level in Rafael Dolis where available this weekend? I would say medium. I would say a couple of percent I'm willing to throw after him. He's going to be able to close in the short term, at least we think. And then, I mean, you know, we would think that Romano is the guy ahead of him, right, once Romano is healthy. But the Blue Jays have already shown they're comfortable turning away from Romano. And I know it wasn't for Dolis, it was for Merriweather. But still, clearly, they're not married to Romano as their closer. So I think Dolis has a chance here if he pitches well. And obviously, he's going to need to get the opportunities. But if he gets those opportunities... He pitches well. I don't think it's a slam dunk that Romano comes back before Merriweather and is the closer ahead of Rafael Dolis. I think he's going to have an opportunity to be the guy here. So I would I would take a shot on this. I mean, I think I, this is where you get closers. You know, then we're going to talk about Kendall Graveman in a second. If you bought in on Kendall Graveman the second that Rafael Montero started to show some cracks, you got a closer cheap. And that's just you know that's the best way to go after these guys. One, if you get them after they are the anointed closer, you're gonna have to pay up. You're gonna have to pay up big. Just ask people who ended up with Lou Trevino. That's just how these things work. And so this is an opportunity, I think, to get a guy cheap who could ultimately become the closer. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I think I want to take the shot on it happening. There's enough of a chance there that it's a risk worth taking. Yeah, I still think it's a smaller bid, though. I, I, for me, if I'm gonna get Dolise. I think back to Cesar Valdez a couple weeks ago. I think Dolis is better than him. I think yep, Valdez was more like five to seven percent, so it's probably more like seven to ten percent on Dolis. If I'm gonna be yeah. aggressive at all for him, you could bid less and maybe still win him in some cases. But I don't think I don't think people are gonna miss this one because he did have the job at the end of last season. A little concerned about the control. He's got 20 walks now in his last 31 innings, so I think that's the the skill that could go sideways for Dolis and, and cause him the most issues. But I do think the Jays are one of those teams that's going to be very flexible in their bullpen, so it could be a shared role too. So that's part of why I'm not pushing more than that 7 to 10% sort of bid in that direction. Seattle, as you mentioned there just a moment ago, uh, a bit tricky because Rafael Montero hasn't been good. We've seen Kendall Graveman close out games. We've seen Keenan Middleton close out games. It was a doubleheader the other day, mm-hmm. so they each closed out a game there. I don't know if, if Graveman getting game one and Middleton getting game two means anything. Probably don't want to read too much into that, uh, but what do you think Seattle's actually doing here? I mean, do you see this as a split, or do you see Graveman as the better option if both are available? I think Graveman's the better option. I think we've got enough tea leaves here. I, I, I do read a little bit into the fact that he got game one and Middleton got game two when he was trotted out for game one. They didn't know there was going to be a save opportunity in Game 2 at that time. And we also have the fact that when things first started to go sideways for Rafael Montero, you saw Graveman come in in the ninth inning in a tie game, a traditional closer spot. Then they took the lead, and that's where you saw Middleton close it out. So that's where he has his two saves. I think that we are seeing as much as we can possibly see from Seattle saying that Kendall Graveman is our closer now. So I think he's definitely the guy to go after there. I don't even know if I would be having Middleton on my list of players to go after. I just think this is Graveman's job, and it just happens to be that in the first week of them going away from Montero, there's been some unique situations that have uh, required them to rely on a couple of guys in safe spots. Yeah, I think it was extra innings for Keenan Middleton's first save, so both of his saves did come in unusual circumstances. Important to keep that in mind. I assume then Graveman for you ahead of Dolis? Absolutely. No question about it. I think we're talking about a guy who is a closer. Now, and Dolis is still a speculative guy. Yeah, I think it's a 
open question as to whether or not they'll try to get back to Montero at any point. I have no yeah. sense of that, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm surprised at how things have played out. I thought Montero would be okay as their closer. I thought he'd hold the job throughout the it's season good. and you know bridge the gap to somebody else. But Kendall Graveman throwing a lot harder out of the pen, as I mentioned last week, and mixing a pretty good arsenal looks really good right now in that relief role. I think the best way to bid on relievers, if you don't need one right away, is to speculate on situations that look like they could be in flux soon. We did speak to Aaron Gleeman, covers the Twins for the Athletic on Thursday's show. He was on Alex Colome, still leading the Twins in saves this season, despite some early season struggles. Do you agree with Aaron that Colome is still going to be the guy here? I do, but I Aaron said what that he would expect this to be a, a multiple guy situation where Colomay's leading the way, but maybe with like twenty saves, and then Taylor Rogers is mixing in with ten saves, and so I think that Rogers is a guy who's worth going after. I think he's a guy who's worth um, you know uh, speculating on. As we said, this is how you can get closers on the cheap, and Rogers could be someone who checks a lot of those boxes, who has the the skill set and the makeup to do it, who's got a good offense who we expect to be handed plenty of leads. We think that the back end of this bullpen is going to be protecting a lot of leads with how good the Twins are expected to be this season. So that's the time, and I'm not doing it thinking that Colomay is going to fall apart. People have been waiting for Alex Colomay to fall apart for years now, and the guy just always seems to outperform what his foundational skills are. So I think we have to take some of that at face value. But there's definitely an opportunity here for things to go sour for him, and Rodgers would be the guy who they would turn to. So I think that that is a nice spot to speculate on, even if we don't think Colomay's given up the job later today. And Hansel Robles, maybe the other guy that could mm-hmm. find his way into some opportunities. They're using him often in late high-leverage situations as well. Uh, Cleveland, we saw a blown save for Emmanuel Classe on Saturday. It started with a two-out error by Josh Naylor and I yeah. think three singles. It I don't think this is a situation that's in flux, but I had to put it to you mostly because I think I have a lot of faith in Emmanuel Classe. I'm yes, probably a little do. biased here. So <laughs> do you think there's any reason if the other late inning Cleveland options are available, if someone dumped Kerinchak early in the season or Nick Whitgren, are you stashing them away right now or do you think Classe is still the guy? I think Classe is the guy. I could I could stash away Kerinchak if I am getting we're talking about you min bid, maybe 1%. Because of the strikeout stuff, I mean, that's always going to be there for him. So he could get right and contribute for you even if he's not getting saves. He could force his way into the save discussion. So I think that there's something there worth speculating on. But, yeah, I mean, you said it. A two-out error, single, single, single. Like, that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I wouldn't pin that on Class A at all. So I don't think there's any real reason for concern to think that this job is suddenly slipping away from him. Yeah, I, I don't feel like that's happening at all. I think that was a pretty mm-hmm. fluky blown save on Saturday. I think they see him as their guy. It would take a couple more bad outings for things to mm-hmm. actually change there. Well, some breaking news on this Sunday morning. As we were signing off, we just saw the Arizona Diamondbacks have called up J.B. Bacoskis, which kind of solves a problem for them, Ballard. <laughs> they yeah. were a team that really went cheap with the closer situation all season long. Uh, with Bacoskis, they have a guy that could just be electric and the guy by miles. I mean, Chris Davinsky is still on the restricted list. Joaquin Soria is still on the IL. Kevin Ginkle, Yohan Lopez, Stefan Crichton. These, these are not guys that you're looking at and saying they're going to keep J.B. Bacoskis away from the closer role. So I'm kind of feeling him as the best all-around option to pick up. Maybe it takes a week or a couple of weeks for him to actually get those save opportunities. But 
I'd be stunned if he's not their closer sooner rather than later. And I'd also be stunned if he doesn't lead this team in saves this season, given the lack of interesting alternatives that they have on that roster. Yeah, I'm with you. My apologies to uh, Kendall Graveman. I'm going to turn on you very quickly. You were my favorite reliever uh, in this show just a couple of minutes ago, and then we get this news, and suddenly it becomes Bukowskis. I mean, I wonder uh, how much are we going to be having to bid on him or to get him? I think that maybe there's still an opportunity here because what you said, maybe it's going to take a couple of weeks, but this is pretty easy to see that like, even when Davinsky and Soria come back, like, they're not calling up Bukowskis just to be – you know, high leverage setup, dude. I would think they're calling him up to be the closer. So probably going to have to go, what do you think, 12%, maybe more than that to get him? Yeah, 12% is kind of the range that I had in mind. If I didn't mm-hmm. need saves badly, I'd probably try to get away with bidding less. But if I'm looking for that second closer and really want someone that might be a long-term solution, I do think he stands out a little more than someone like Graveman. And mm-hmm. I like Graveman. Yeah, I do. I just think that job could change hands a few more times, given that the alternatives are a little bit more interesting there. So uh, I'm in on J.B. Bikoskis. <laughs> 12% seems like a kind of a good middle ground for that bid. If you are really desperate, you could go higher. If you don't need saves that badly, you can go lower and still maybe get him as your third closer and come mm-hmm. away thrilled with the fact that they might be a team that has a very clear plan in the bullpen. I don't know how many games they're going to win. I don't think they're that good. But I don't think they're so bad that you're worried about them only saving 15 or 20 games the rest of the way because they only won 50. I think they're a little better than that. So J.B. Bikoskis, absolutely our favorite reliever on the board this week. Uh, This one just caught my eye because I didn't think the situation was going to be as stable as it's been so far. Uh, not available in a lot of places, but Ian Kennedy is <laughs> Fun thriving. Fun to talk about, though. He's yeah. thriving right now. It's <laughs> one of the things that's going right for the Rangers early on this season. I believe he's got all three of their saves this season. You know, 360 ERA, 120 whip, 8Ks in five innings, no walks. So uh, mm-hmm. really nice numbers kind of across the board and not really that far from what he did in 2019 in Kansas City when he racked up 30 saves mm-hmm. for the Royals. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this script play out before, and just, I mean, like you said, not really a whole lot to say. He's not out there anywhere, but just like, what a what a reinvention of a guy who we thought was potentially going to be a you know career long front of rotation starter when he came up with Arizona, and then to see obviously that not play out, and then remake himself as a pretty solid closer, like you said, did it in Kansas City to the point where we're talking about a 30-save guy and now feels like things are falling into place for him with the Rangers once again. Not actionable, but sometimes it's just fun to talk about these things, so definitely you're feeling good about Ian Kennedy if you speculated on that early in the season. So my question for you, a lot of these players we talked about were mostly available in, in deeper leagues. Are there any more shallow league targets out there, guys whose opportunities have changed, roles have changed in a way where you you're being more aggressive. I know Avisail Garcia was available in some mm-hmm. shallow mixed leagues, That's at least one. up until the last couple of days. He's hitting cleanup for the Brewers right now, and with all the outfielders missing, there's no concern about mm-hmm. his playing time right now, whereas when the season started, it was a question of how they were going to get all four of those outfielders enough playing time. That's a, that's a very good one, and there's, as you said, no concern whatsoever. And another guy who... Could hit his like there's a there's a scenario where he hits so well that he makes himself a regular that he is the other right. We know Christian Yelich is a regular. I don't think that Lorenzo Cain or Jackie Bradley Jr. command being regulars just based on the players they are at this stage of their career. Obviously, El Garcia has that tool 
where he could hit well enough that he becomes the second, no doubt about it, regular. And we're talking about Bradley and, uh, and Kane as platoon guys. So I think that's a good call. I don't know if this fits exactly, but I've really got Donovan Solano on my radar just because of the position eligibility. The guy can move all over the diamond, uh, both for the Giants and for fantasy teams. And I think he's proved over the last couple of years that he, he can hit. I mean, he can get on base. He can hit for a high average. I think that he has shown us that to the point that we should just be trusting it. So he's someone who, because more of the flexibility that he provides your roster, especially in leagues where you're starting middle infield and corner infield, he can play everywhere, basically. He's someone who I would have my eye on this weekend who uh, maybe uh, is not quite available in the deeper leagues, but is still sitting out there in shallower ones. Yeah, it's a good call. I think there's some other names out there, too, that Scott Engel, who's writing the ads and drops column Mm -hmm. for the Athletic, mentioned. So if you're in a more shallow league, you're playing in a tent-team league, a lot of the names that we're talking about might not be impact guys on this stream. Scott's got a few more shallow targets to consider out there for this weekend. And, of course, things can change. All it takes is one day's worth of games, and everything in the fab world gets turned upside down. So uh, keep an eye out for that column. If you don't already have access to The Athletic, you can get a subscription for just $3.99 a month at theathletic.com slash podcast. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You can find Beller on Twitter at mbeller. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We are back with you on Tuesday. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.